Gracious Father, you are truly great. And our hearts have been poured out in praise. Our hearts have been poured out in adoration of you. Lord, as we have heard the music that has uh, come through the piano, as we have heard the organ, as we have heard the band, we have been lifted toward you. And Lord, we ask that you will continue to be with us in these next few moments. We pray, Father, that your spirit will work in our hearts to shape us so that we might be more like Jesus, is our prayer in his precious name. Amen. If you're joining us today, you will find that we are starting our new series for the fall. The name of the series is Practicing the Way of Jesus, uh, Apprenticeship in the Age of Uncertainty. And I'm excited about this series for the next couple of weeks because for the last few months or perhaps for the last few years of my life, if you had asked me, what do you think is important for a Christian to know? What do you think is important and what has been formative for your life? I would have pointed you to the series we're about to embark on. And today is going to be an introduction into this series, into what it means to follow the way of Jesus. And to do that, we're going to enter our series through a story. And the story is that of Mike Boyd, a Scottish YouTuber who has about two and a half million uh, subscribers and started his channel five years ago with the premise that he can learn anything if he tries. And he started by trying to learn how to do a kickflip. Some of you may be scratching your head thinking, a kick what? A kickflip. This is essentially when you stand on a skateboard and you jump up on that skateboard, allow the skateboard to rotate 360 degrees and then land back on the skateboard. And that is a kickflip. And so he embarked on this journey and it took him five hours and 47 minutes until he was able to learn how to kickflip. Now, Mike realized that there were many people who wanted to hear and see his exploits in learning different skills. And to that end, amongst many other things, Mike learned how to solve a Rubik's Cube. Mike learned how to hold his breath for four minutes. Mike learned how to wheelie, how to shatter a glass with just his voice. Mike learned many different interesting things. I think one of the most impressive was learning how to recite the first hundred numbers of pi. But Mike does not learn these skills to become an expert. Mike does not make this part of his life. Mike learns so he can become competent, so he can check the box to say, I know how to wheelie. I know how to skate. Mike does it so that more people can follow him, so he can get more subscribers. Mike learns new skills simply so that people can follow him. There is a difference, I'm sure all of you would agree, that there is a difference between someone like Mike learning how to do something for the first time, and someone who is a professional, someone who has been doing it their entire life. For example, if you went and bought a plot of land and you decided, I'm going to build a house on this plot of land, you would not, my friends, 
Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think you would go and find someone who has been a contractor from watching 10 hours of YouTube videos. You would not give them the building of your house after 10 hours of watching YouTube videos, no matter how competent they might become. I am sure most of us, if we were to walk onto a plane and we were to hear, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, we're so glad you're joining us on flight 325, leaving from Walla Walla, Washington to Seattle. My name is uh, Andreas Beckheim, and I'm going to be your pilot for today. Just want to let all of you know that I have been in a flight simulator, also playing um, and watching YouTube videos about how to fly a plane. And this will be my first time flying um, in my entire life. If you were to be on a plane, my friends, and you heard an announcement like that, I'm sure you would be beating a path to the door to get off. Because even if you have been able to be in a, uh, a flight simulator, even if you might be competent in theory, nobody would trust that a pilot who has never flown a plane would be a safe person to be with. There is a huge difference, I'm sure you would agree, between an amateur and a professional, between someone who does it for a hobby and someone who does it for life. I also believe, my friends, that there is a difference between a uh, disciple and also an admirer. And what we want to do in our sermon series starting today is to look at what it is to be a disciple rather than someone who is just uh, learning skills so that you can check off boxes. We want to look at what a disciple of Jesus Christ looks like in 2020 in Walla Walla or wherever you may be joining us from around the world. It makes a difference. And to begin, we're going to go to the book of Revelation. We're going to go to Revelation chapter 14, which for some of you as Adventists is immediately going to ring a bell because this has for many years and from the inception of our church been a key text for us in understanding who we are and where we are going. Revelation chapter 14. If you have a Bible, I will invite you to join me. I will be reading today from the New King James Version, beginning in verse 1 of Revelation 14. Then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard the voice from heaven, like the voice of many waters, like the voice of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. They sang, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. Verse 4. These are those who are not defiled with women, for they are virgins. They are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These were redeemed from among men, becoming first fruits to God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. If you've not read the Bible before, this is going to be a very interesting and perhaps confusing and eyebrow-raising passage that we have read. And it will take far too long to, to go through the intricacies of Revelation chapter 14. 
but it is sufficient enough for you to know that the book of Revelation, which is an unveiling of things that will happen toward the end of time, is talking about a group of people, 144,000 of them, which is really symbolic of a numberless group of people. And John, the writer, tells us that these people participate in a rich cosmic song. And he describes the participants in this way. In Revelation chapter 14, verse 4, this is what he says. He says, these people, they follow, key word, follow the lamb wherever he goes. This is how he describes them. These people follow the lamb wherever he goes. And then John continues writing in Revelation 14, snaps us to attention. And he moves from describing these people who follow the lamb, Jesus Christ, wherever he goes, to then enunciating the timeline and the circumstances of, and this isn't a real word, but we're going to use it, of their followership of Jesus. And he describes in Revelation chapter 14, three angels flying in the air. He tells us that the first angel recapitulates the gospel announcement, tells people that the risen Christ is coming to the entire world with a warning because he is coming to do justice, to do right, to put all things back together. And then the second and the third angel bring a warning that a system filled with chaos and pain, darkness and confusion will be conquered. And this is Revelation chapter 14. But what is instructive for us, and I think if you have grown up uh, within this tradition, you may have missed, is that this description of the fallen system referring to uh, the system which is going to fall also tells us that there is a group of people who follow the Lamb wherever it goes. But instead, it describes this subversive group of people in this way. It says, these people, Revelation 14 verse 12, they keep his commands and remain faithful to Jesus. And what I'm trying to get you to see is that this followership, this group of people in Revelation 14, who follow the Lamb and also are faithful to Jesus are the same group. It's the same group of people who recognize that in the midst of a chaotic time, in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of a world which seems to have been flipped upside down, uh, the way they are going to make it through is by following the Lamb. It's by following Jesus. And I'm looking at my time, but I will still make this comment. I think we have sometimes been careless in thinking, for those of you who uh, identify as Adventists, that there is perhaps some esoteric, deep knowledge which is necessary for you to be able to be part of those who, coming to the end of time, are going to be counted amongst the disciples of Jesus. And yet, Jesus Christ and John writing on his behalf says the people who are with Jesus are following him and have faith in him. What's this got to do with practicing the way, Andreas? We're in the book of Revelation. I barely know what you're talking about. What is this? I'll tell you. John 
writing about those key people is telling us something important, that the key characteristic of the key group, of the key chapter, of perhaps the most commented and written about book by Adventists, these people are giving us a picture of followership, that word again, of discipleship, of apprenticeship to the Lamb, to Jesus. In fact, we can find from this text that there are people in Revelation chapter uh, 14 who have three characteristics. Characteristic number one, these people are with Jesus. We find that in Revelation 14 verse 1 when we're told they are standing with him. The second characteristic we find is that these people are becoming like Jesus because they have his name and his character on their heart. And the third thing is that they are doing what Jesus does. They are joining Jesus in a cosmic worship and song. They are following Jesus wherever he goes. And so John painting this apocalyptic picture of the risen Christ is merely a development and an expansion of what John and the other disciples spoke about in the gospels. What do I mean? What I mean is that John is giving us a picture of someone who is followed by disciples. And that word, my friend, in the first century would have been the word rabbi. And a rabbi, as I'm sure some of you would know, is the Hebrew word meaning a teacher. And a rabbi would travel, would go from town to town, from village to village. And when that uh, rabbi would turn up, he would have his yoke. And not a physical yoke, but he would have his yoke, his teaching, the way in which he interacts with the Torah, the, the received divine text of the time. And he would tell his disciples about his yoke and people would listen to that rabbi. And then if they wanted to be with that rabbi, they might become a disciple of that rabbi after they have gone through a process. And now we find Jesus in Revelation chapter 14 is really that same rabbi. He is really that same teacher. And what is paramount for those who want to be with Jesus is that they are disciples. They are people who are with Jesus, who are becoming like Jesus, and who are doing what Jesus did. Now, we're going to run through a couple of texts. If you have your Bibles, I hope you do. We're going to be in the book of Mark. We're going to go through three chapters. I'm going to read at a speed which is hardly polite, but you will find uh, there is a pattern that we need to unearth when we go to the book of Mark. So let's start in Mark chapter 1, verses 16 to 20. Mark chapter 1, verses 16 to 20. And this is a story about Jesus calling disciples. And it says, And as he walked, Jesus, by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Then Mark chapter 3, 13 to 19 tells us this, and Jesus went up to the mountain and called to him those him, himself he wanted, and they came to him. Then he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and have power to heal sickness and cast out demons. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name uh, Boanerges, that is sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, 
Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who would also betray him. And they went into his house. And then the final text, Mark chapter 8, verse 34. If you're keeping up, congratulations, you are doing a fine job. This is the time when you're going to have an advantage if you have a paper Bible, probably, than your Bible app. Uh, Mark chapter 8, verse 34 says, And when he had called the people to himself, With his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And what we find from these passages in the book of Mark is a key, key thing. We find here that Jesus Christ uh, calls every single person to come and to follow him. Jesus Christ When he says, come and follow me, he's not saying, hey, just listen to me. And if you like the the sound of what I'm saying, if it sounds like therapeutic moralism to you, if it just happens to fit your worldview, um, follow me because it's not going to make that much of a difference in your life. When Jesus Christ says, come, follow me, he isn't saying, follow me in the same way someone might say, hey, follow me on Instagram. Here's my handle, follow me. Or, hey, I'm on TikTok, follow me, because I put a new dance on there every single week. Jesus Christ is not saying, follow me in that sense. He's not saying, follow me, because I'm going to get you priority boarding on a plane going to heaven, and I'm going to give you 50% coupons on the snacks on the way there. Jesus Christ, when he calls his disciples to follow me, is talking about the here and now, the terra firma, the ground that they stand on. Jesus Christ is saying, follow me, and that means there will be a change and a disruption to the ways in which you pattern your life. And Jesus Christ calls the disciples, and he says, come, follow me, be my disciple. And my friends, As we go through the next couple of weeks, you will realize what a radical, what a joyous, what a difficult, what an all-consuming call this call is to become a disciple and to follow Jesus. In the Hebrew, that word, be my disciple, that word disciple is tamadim, and in Greek it's matateus, it means to be a student or a follower. And some of you may think, well, a student is the kind of person, let's say if I would go to Walla Walla University, I wake up, I get to my classes on time, I listen to my professor, I scribble or I type notes, I look at those notes, you know, then I do what I need to do. I'm not thinking about the class the entire time, but maybe if I have a paper or a quiz, then I'll study. And then if I study, then I'll do well, then I'll pass. And I'm a good student. This is not what Jesus is talking about when he says to be a disciple. And neither, like I said, when he says to be a follower, is he talking about asking people to subscribe to your YouTube channel or to follow you on Snapchat? Jesus Christ is asking for something much deeper. This word, tamidim, is much closer to the word apprentice if we want to know what Jesus is calling each of us to. And this word apprenticeship, um, I think, has been diluted uh, in what it means. For many of us, you might think of an, uh, an apprenticeship and you think, well, is that like an internship, right? I go somewhere for maybe three weeks and then I go back to school. It doesn't really make that much of a difference in my life. I pass through it. An apprenticeship, for those of you who might be a little older, you realize how serious an apprenticeship is. Let's say you want to be an apprentice uh, because you want to be a plumber or you want to be an electrician or a machinist. 
These programs will be three, four, five, six years. And you work under a master and you learn how that master works. And when you have passed through that apprenticeship, you acquire the same skills, hopefully, that the master has. And so Jesus Christ calling us to be disciples, we can say he is calling each of us to apprentice under his way as a rabbi. It's like this, uh, speaking about what a disciple or an apprentice is. It's like the uh, 6 BC Scythian philosopher, uh, Anacharis. Now, if you were a Scythian in the 6 BC, you knew that you were supposed to hate the Greeks. Just, you know, regular xenophobia and nationalism. We're them, we're, we're, we're Scythians, they're Greeks, we hate them. But Anacharis uh, loved Greek culture. And so he left and stayed in Greece for a number of years. And when Anacharis was there, he immersed himself in their language. He immersed himself in their clothing, in the food that they ate. He worshipped Greek gods and he decorated his palace with Greek art. He became so consumed, so shaped by Greek culture that Anacharis was sometimes mistaken for a Greek by the Greeks. And one day, when he returned home, his Scythian countrymen looked at him and in disgust told him that he had not become like a Greek, but he was a Greek, and they hated him because his transformation was total. And this is what it means to be a disciple. It's to fully immerse ourselves in the way of Jesus. When we speak about what it means to be a Christian, to be an Adventist, it is to follow the Lamb. It is to practice the way of Jesus. This is the foundation of everything that we do. And to be a disciple is not to put on a costume that you wear for a part. It's an identity that subsumes you. To be a disciple means that uh, you, you recognize that you're going through stages of, of apprenticeship under your rabbi. To be a disciple is all-consuming. In fact, when Jesus Christ was a rabbi in Judaism in the first century, there were three different stages of what it meant. And some of you are familiar with these stages, but let me rehash it for those who don't know. The first stage, beginning at the age of six, if you wanted to become a, a, a disciple under a rabbi, was to go to the a place called Bet Sefar, which is house of the book. The second stage would be Bet Talmud. And in each stage, you would have to prove your worthiness to move from one to another. And that would be the house of learning. And the third would be Bet Midrash, the house of study. And very few got to that stage. And if you got to Bet Midrash, you would follow your disciple, you would, uh, your rabbi, so that you could be just like your rabbi. You would pattern your life after your rabbi. You would be with your rabbi wherever your rabbi walked. In fact, this is why a blessing for disciples would be, may you be covered in the dust of the feet of your rabbi, and may you be watered by his wisdom. You would be with your rabbi if you were a disciple. You would also become like your rabbi. You would watch the way your rabbi eats. If your rabbi loves someone that you hated, you would recognize that maybe I've made a mistake. If my rabbi loves this person, if my rabbi says this person is okay, maybe I should love them too. So you would want to become like your rabbi in everything. And then finally, you would want 
to do what your rabbi did, because this was the ultimate goal for a disciple, to be like your rabbi and then to make your own disciple. Like I said, this is merely an introduction for what we'll be doing for the next couple of weeks, but we want to invite you to be part of this journey here at the Walla Walla University Church. In fact, let me give you something you can do in preparation for our sermon next week. If you go to um, YouTube, there is a wonderful series which is called The Chosen. Now, someone told me about The Chosen, and they said, oh, it's a new series on Jesus. This may sound blasphemous, but I only watch Jesus stuff. I, I don't. When I grew up, you know, my parents would have stuff for me on Sabbath, Friday night, I'd watch it, and it was good. But generally, I don't go out of my way to just watch adaptations of the life of Jesus. But The Chosen, oh, now there is something worth watching. And it shows you what living in life as a disciple really means. But let me end with this. If we're going to be disciples of Christ, we must recognize that Jesus Christ calls us first and foremost to be with him and to be present with him. It means to live in a constant state of awareness and of connection to the spirit. Those of you who are in Western Washington or in Eastern Washington, those who are joining us from Oregon or from California, as we watch together the quality of air index shoot through the roof, as we see smoke, as we see fire, we cannot but know that it's real and we live in a state of constant awareness of what is around us. To be a disciple is to live with a state of constant awareness that the Spirit of God is around us in our life. It reminds me of Brother Lawrence, that famous disciple of Jesus who would wash pans and pots to the glory of God, who would ask God in everything he did to make him keenly aware of his presence because we must be aware of the presence of Jesus. We must resist the pull that happens to me And I think to so many of us, where we are no longer following Jesus Christ, but we are asking Jesus Christ to follow us. We're no longer disciples who are shaping our lives to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, to do what Jesus did, but rather he becomes an accoutrement and an attachment to our lives. And when we need Jesus, we invite him along every Sabbath for a couple of hours. When we need Jesus because someone is sick, we invite him along to the hospital. We invite him to follow our career trajectory. We invite him to follow our decisions for our money, but we don't follow Jesus. And these next few weeks, we're going to learn what it means to be an apprentice under Jesus, to fall into the rhythms and the patterns of the life of Jesus, not to impress Jesus because we are secure in what he has given to us, but because he calls us and because we hear his call and we want to be a community of apprentices and a community of disciples. And so I'm going to invite you, if you've watched this and you felt that there is something in your life that you might need to do, let me tell you the only thing you need to do, well, beside maybe watching The Chosen, is to carve out some space in your life in the week to come. You may be a busy mother. You may be a busy business owner. You might be a professor swamped getting ready for another school year. But Jesus Christ's invitation is still there for you today. Come and follow me. Carve out time. Invite the Spirit to pattern you that you might be a follower of God. 
Again, thank you for joining us this week. We hope that the service was a blessing to you and we're so glad you worshiped with us this Sabbath. Please let us know where you're joining us from. You can send us a message on our social media, on Facebook, on Instagram, on our church website. And we pray that you have a wonderful week and God's richest blessings go with you.